0: Scott Bowden and Brian Lass right along ringside and ready to go for another big day of Kentucky Fried Wrestling. We recently discussed how native Memphian Jerry Lawler eventually became the beloved king in the eyes of the hometown faithful by the end of the Quest for the Title program in 1974 before reverting back to the dark side as 1975 came to a close. And today we are taking a big leap back to February 3rd, 1975, when Lawler the home team of Memphis Wrestling, loses the equivalent of the Super Bowl decisively in his long-awaited rematch for Jack Briscoe's NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Little did fans realize at the time that Lawler said had been getting a little too big for his crown, so to speak. So, promoter Jerry Jarrett had decided to phase out the king and banish him from the territory, where he would remain in exile until the summer of 75. So on that same February 3rd, 1975 card, the promotion is quickly positioning new stars to ascend to the throne of Memphis wrestling. Most notably, another Tennessee babyface, Ron Fuller, and the international roughneck himself, Dick the Bruiser. Let's go to this rare WHBQ audio clip of Dick the Bruiser telling Ron Fuller exactly what he's gonna do to him.
1: ...matches ever, next Monday night, February 3rd, uh, here in Memphis at the Mid-South Coliseum, When Ron Fuller is in there against the world's
2: most dangerous vessel, Dick the Bruiser, and here he is. Ron Fuller, you are a seven-foot stork. You've got a body like a stork, you've got a mustache like a stork, and you've got a brain like a stork. When I get you next Monday night and tear off your stork legs... And you look like a little chicken there with your stark legs taken off. Then I'm going to rip off your mustache. I'm going to pull that big, long tongue out of your head. And I'm going to tie it around your neck and squeeze it like a tourniquet. And then I'm going to take off with your Southern Heavyweight Championship belt. And I'm going out into the people. And I'm giving your belt to the people where the belt belongs. It doesn't belong to a stark that would team up with other people and beat people like you and that other church Danny Hodge did to my friend Jerry Lawler, it doesn't belong to people that grabbed me from behind in St. Louis when I wasn't looking and hit me on the head with a chair, you notice when you hit me on the head with a chair, you had to pay for the chair, it didn't hurt my head. You had to pay for the chair. Well, this time you're going to have to pay to get your mustache repaired. You're going to have to pay to get your long tongue so back up. You're going to have to pay to get the belt from the people when you go into the people and ask them, Oh, please, pretty people of Memphis, give me back my belt that the bruiser took from me and gave to you. I'm going to take your belt from you, Ron Fuller, and then I'm going to beat you. I'm going to tie your ears together so bad you're going to
3: leave the South next Monday.
0: And Lawler's departure also opened the door for a new pair of brash heels to make life miserable for Banana Nose Lance Russell and Dave Brown. The obnoxious Aussies Bill Dundee and George Barnes, who debuted at the Coliseum on February 11th, 1975. Now, by March of 75, this dastardly duo from Down Under They were already drawing Lawler-like numbers of 10,000 fans to the Coliseum for bouts against the likes of Tojo Yamamoto and Eddie Morlin. And by the way, a little bit of a tip of the hat here to Eddie Morlin, because I used to insult Eddie a lot in my interviews as a heel manager. And man, that guy could cut a fired-up promo, and he could flat-out work. So Eddie, if you're listening to this, I apologize. (laughs) But let's take you back. To the opening of the March 23rd episode of WHBQ Wrestling on Channel 13, Saturday morning, 11 a.m., as Lance and Dave open the show, lamenting the fact that the arrogant Australians are making their life just as miserable as a certain young cocky Memphian did only months earlier, right after a word from our sponsor.
4: Check the low prices and good values at Baxter factory stores. Yes, sir, if you like to wear those great knit suits, check Baxter's great price, $49, over $800 in stock to choose from. Or sport coats, well, so you can buy two great Baxter sport coats. For the price of only $1, $29, and there's over $600 in stock. Shop for Easter now at Baxter's and save. They're open until 6. The Park Avenue store is open on Fridays till 8.
5: HBQ Television!
4: Hello again, everybody. Lance Russell and Dave Brown, right along ringside, all ready to go with another of those big Saturdays with Channel 13 Studio Wrestling, coming to you direct from the studios of Channel 13, 485 South Island. Davey, how about the card Looks like three matches. Two of them will be singles, and then the main event's going to be a tag team match. In our opener, we're going to have Ronnie Blaisdene in here. He'll be going against Eddie Marlin. Then in the second match, John Gray from Australia will be going against Robert Fuller. And then in the main event, uh, we have Leon Chandler scheduled to go with Jerry Bryant, as they take on the australasian champions george barnes and bill dundee in the main event always makes you day when you find out the australians are going to be around with you well in a negative sort of <laughs> way <laughs> yeah you said it remember fellas he keeps <laughs> saying all these things yeah we've got uh... problems with uh... leon chandler he had card difficulty out the way so we'll just have to keep you posted on that main event but don't worry about it there'll be plenty of wrestling action you can bet your life on that so you get ready settle down we're going to be ready to go with eddie marlin in here against ronnie blaisdene and our opening bout coming up for you in just one moment and maybe they'll decide that they don't want to come out here and make an appearance today we're talking about george barnes and bill dundee wanted to talk to him a little bit about the bout last uh, monday night in which uh, they ended up going against uh, hickerson and robert fuller and uh, hickerson and fuller were disqualified here comes uh, george barnes you saw him a moment ago out here with his partner in the uh, in the corner of John Gray, and John Gray didn't come out so successfully. So at least uh, an Australian in there, in in the one Australian's appearance today, he has been defeated in action. So this yes. may not be a good day for Australians.
6: Well, if you let's call a spade a spade, Mister Russell, you saw what happened to Johnny Gray in there. As usual, the Americans—they cheated. They are a bunch of cheats. You Americans just don't know how to play the sport properly. Now. I'm not here to talk about that match because the main thing that interests me is me and my partner William. Now I've made a little bit of a study on people and behaviour. Now I can tell that Robert Fuller is a born loser. Now as soon as that boy steps in the ring you can see that. Now let's let's be honest, we're being honest now. If you look back through the ages and you see that if any child has a weakness at all the parent will type of look after that child, you know what I mean Mr Russell? They mollycoddle the child, they look after it and they show show that child favouritism Now Robert Fuller has been shown favouritism all his life and he's been looked after by his father and his mother and he's turned into a little mummy's boy Consequently, he needs his father to lean on all the time And I don't blame Ronald Fuller for getting a little bit hot about that type of thing Because Robert Fuller's been getting shown all the favouritism all his life And poor old Ronald's been left out on the ledge Now, Ronald Fuller is an athlete A man that's learned the stone on his own two feet Not like Robert, who actually stands on his father's two feet His father runs down and helps him out all the time Well, Mr Fuller, I'm gonna tell you something, Mr Buddy Fuller I'm addressing this to, it's like a plague around here, we've got that many Fullers Now, old man, if you've got enough guts to come down to that ring and try and drag your son out of there, have enough guts to get in there and fight Now, it's no good jumping in the ring and running around and running away scared from us and trying to drag your son out of the ring doing that If you want to get into that ring, fight us, man, I know you're old I know you're decrepit, and I know we can beat you. What chance has an old man got against two fine athletes like William and myself? None at all. Now you've got to be you've got to be you've got to be honest with yourself. Well, right?
4: it's true that Buddy has not been active in the last few years, but you're talking about a guy who was one of the great heavyweight wrestlers in the world when he was in his prime yeah, that, and in his action.
6: That was. He's a has been. Well, but know. we are the athletes of today. Now, Mr Dundee we are now he was yesterday his day is gone and you are looking at the finest pair of athletes in the world today now robert fuller is a mummy's boy a daddy's boy he needs his father to lean on and then we've got a we've got a little a little kid who needs to hang on to his daddy and hide behind him all the time and we've got an old man so what chance have they got of beating us mr russell i can't see any chance at all
4: well, the uh, action that took place last week uh, with Fuller and Hickerson proved that at least you can uh, be given some competition. They did get disqualified. There's no question about that, that uh, Fuller and Hickerson got disqualified. But Buddy Fuller relies a great deal on experience, and he's got plenty of it behind him, and Robert's young enough to stay in there with you all the way.
7: No way, brother. Look, the only Fuller that has any sense is the other. One. What's the wrong? Ron, Ron. He's the only Fuller. He knows that we're the greatest thing, so he don't want no part of us, right? He told his baby brother that. His baby brother wouldn't listen. So what does he do? He goes and gets his dad. Now, there's no good me raving on about it. George just said it all about Ron Fuller. So, and, and Buddy Fuller. So, if he wants to get in the ring with us, well, you know, if he's silly enough, it's just... But we're not going to be responsible for what happens to him. If he dies or he gets hurt, or, you know, that's up to him. He's he's signed a little thing, so... It's a
4: professional wrestler. He'll step in there and take his uh, take his Sorry. punishment and dish it out, too.
6: Can I say something to Mr. Fuller, he he just might be watching this, and and if he is, I hope he isn't. I'm
4: sure he is.
6: Mr. Fuller, I've always thought that it's a bad mistake on any sportsman's part to let sentiment get in the way of reality. Now, don't let your sentiments get in front of you, man, because the kid is a loser, just give up on him, forget about him, he's never going to be anything. Just let him go and dwindle off and let him fade away into nothing. You've got a son to be proud of. You've got Ronald Fuller, the one you've neglected for years and years and years, the one that you should have been showing favouritism to, a sportsman, an athlete, a man who's got his head screwed on the right way. That's the boy you should be looking after. Not that little nothing, that nobody, that creep. Nobody likes a nothing. A man of this world has to stand on his own two feet, and that's the man you've got to look after, not a nothing.
4: Robert has been uh, in a series of unlucky decisions where he has been on the losing sides. And See,
7: there you go. you make an excuse. Wow, he's His it? old man makes excuses for him. Every, the only guy that tells the truth about him is his big brother. Now, when your big brother knows it, you're the loser. Well, it's as plain as a nose in your face. See? Okay, so, it's negative, you know, right. and it's, so, I mean, what... what you know, so, he calls him. He come the first time he was here. Everybody knows he come here crying and we busted him open and he goes and calls his big brother. His big brother would have nothing to do with him because he knows the guy's... He's... he's, he's old man's a has-been and he's a never-was. That's as plain as it's gonna
6: be, right? Well, and they get like talking about has-beens and never wases and nobodies and things like that. Now, Mr. Russell, we're working in a place, wrestling in a place or called Jonesboro I don't know is it is a state called Jonesboro or is it Arkansas the place Arkansas. Or, that's a suburb of Memphis now there's one thing I'd like to tell these people of Jonesboro if you don't mind once I told you to leave your plows at home and put your under spray deodorant on and come up and watch the wrestling watch two great athletes in action now I've noticed in the car park a hell of a lot lately a lot of tractors and farming implements lying around there have not you people got cars to come to the wrestling matches in? We've got a, we've, we've piled up blocks away waiting to get in this place. Do you move these silly damn tractors and things? Now look, if you can't come in a motor car, walk, yeah, but don't bring those great big cumbersome tractors and plows because they just block the road up and we can't get there. Okay, that's. And the thing n-
7: was, they put the tractors away. Like you tell them, they never used the deodorant. They just put the tractors and and, and they come. Now this is for all you jungle buddies out there. We told you last week we was going to name a street after you. Well, we've changed it, brother. We're going to rename the Arkansas Bridge after you. Leroy Finkelwinkle or something, we're going to
6: call it. Thank okay, you.
4: that's enough from Barnes and Dundee. They will find that they have some action Monday night in there, despite the fact they don't seem to think that there is going to be much of a
7: challenge for their particular balance. Mr. Russell, it's been a pleasure. Naturally, yes
4: Okay, there it is, Bill Dundee and George Barnes. They're as confident as you will ever see confidence existed, and uh, we hear it. Every week from them, they come out with it. We'll be back right after we take time out for this.
0: So even without Lawler and his trademark fireballs, uh, crowds remained red hot in the summer of 75, mostly thanks to the Mongolian Stomper, uh, who was introduced as being from outer Mongolia, and manager Bearcat Wright, who was, frankly, one of the most underrated talkers in the history of the business. And the great thing about that was It enabled the Stomper to enjoy a mystique. He would often just stand behind Bearcat Wright and just look at you. It was almost like he was looking through the camera and into your soul. And he never said a word. He never blinked an eye. And it just made him seem like the most evil guy on the planet. And as I've mentioned before, the Stomper is the one that really first got my attention as a wrestling fan when my dad would turn off my cartoons and switch it over to Channel 13 WHBQ. But at any rate, the king returns as the white knight to challenge the undefeated Stomper in June 1975. The promoter Jerry Jarrett wasn't quite ready to roll out the red carpet and coordinate the king once again just yet, as the Stomper retained the title in front of a packed crowd of 11,500 at the Coliseum on June 30th. Now, Lawler did regain the count briefly before the Stomper knocked the king back off the throne, setting up a match between the Stomper and the mighty Zulu, Ron Pope. Now, Brian, I don't know a lot about this big, stiff Ron Pope. What can you tell me about him?
8: Big, stiff Ron Pope is something that's been heard by a lot of people. He is, and I hate to put someone down, but he is a wrestler universally considered to be one of the worst wrestlers ever. However. And I think part of the reason why he was a draw, or at least part of a drawing program here in Memphis, he was one of the first guys in wrestling to have a bodybuilder's physique. Very early on, Zulu, Ron Pope, was in better shape than almost every wrestler on the roster.
0: So if you look at the houses from August 4th to August 18th, Zulu and the Stomper sold out the Mid-South Coliseum three consecutive times. I mean, that's almost unheard of. Uh, in their first southern tidal tussle on August 4th, the Stomper somehow carried this big lug to a decent bout until he was finally captured in Zulu's bear hug. But the uh, Mongolian was outside the ring ropes, and Zulu refused to release the hold and was disqualified. Now, another big reason for the houses for remaining strong in August was the reunion of the fabulous Fargos, including Roughhouse Fargo, who Jackie Fargo had to check out of the nuthouse in Bolivar. Let's go to one of those fabulous promos from the one and only Jackie Fargo in this rare WHBQ audio clip.
9: Jackie Fargo, back together again after many, many years. Jackie, welcome. Don, good to have you here. Can uh, you tell you something about that big, loud punk-out dream, you big dummy with your two cowboy drug stores? You got a little dose of your own medicine Monday night. I told you I was going to bring the fabulous Three Fargo's in here, and we did. You sit out there and watch the film, I know, you big, dumb Al Green. And you've seen what we did to you, and you didn't like it. You tried to come out here and cover up with it by your big cough and your big mouth. About your big money, and you order charge the people $25 for seats. All you need is a $10 bill for a bottle of wine, you big, dumb of you. I'm telling you to your face, you're <laughs> a big, dumb idiot. I'm telling you right now, and I can back up what I can say. And I've got two fabulous Fargo's with me, Nuthouse, who you know very well and my brother Donnie. Donnie and I had some problems. We're brothers, we were separated for about five years. And last Saturday when I called him, he didn't hesitate. He came right in to help me back. Now we're gonna get back together. We've patched our differences up and we're gonna show you something, you big dummy with your two drugstore cowboys. We're gonna show you how mean and tough and rough the fabulous Fargo's are, Pally. You talking about you wanted that match. You didn't want that match. You're a liar, you're a bare-faced liar. And I tell you, right in your eyes, you are a liar. Do you understand that? I'm going to keep running my family down, boy. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what I said years ago. I'm going to kill you one of these things. Today. Tell you I what, want people to forgive me to for get out of here and talk like this. Oh. I can't that guy's big
4: mouth. Understandable. We heard what he had to say here a moment ago. I don't know if uh, Al Green knows or not that uh, Jackie and Don Fargo uh, were together as a tag team a few yeah, years ago. Very well. That uh, you held uh, the World Tag uh, Championship belts for seven years. Seven years. Uh, these two guys held the belts, uh, packing them in Madison Square Garden for months and months, over a year out there.
9: So uh, uh, Green uh, better not take this team lightly. Of course, we've all seen
4: Ruffles
9: bouncing around here. He's a big dummy, and I'm telling him again, you're a big, dumb idiot, Mr. Al Green, with your little 10-cent cowboy hat and your two drugstore cowboys. Y'all want to keep repeating that. I know that bugs you. I want to make you as mad as I know how. I want to make you so mad for Tuesday night. I want you to get in there, and I want you to just try everything you know how, Sally. Because the fabulous Fargo's invented dirty wrestling. Gows in, kicking, fighting, brass nuts, anything you can think of. So you bring whatever you want and who you want Tuesday night, Al Green, because Jackie, Donnie, and Roughhouse will be waiting for you. I have no doubt about it that uh, he's going
4: to run into a wall opposition.
0: God, talk about intensity. That's just some of the rawness that we're missing today in promos. Uh, Jerry Lawler told me that Jackie Fargo never went out there with a single thought about what he was going to say. Sure, he knew how to sell tickets. He knew what happened the last week, and he knew how to sell a match. But he just went out there, and, man, he just let emotion take over. And that's what drew the people in. Now, Zulu and the Stomper somehow— Managed to draw two more sellouts that I mentioned earlier. And I think in large part they were fueled by this incredible promo in which manager Bearcat Wright is becoming increasingly distraught that uh, Zulu's bear hug is crushing the stompers' ribs. Uh, He's actually calling for a ban
8: on the hold. Uh, Brian, have you ever known a manager to be so sensitive? No, managers are known for their toughness, not their sensitivity. But <laughs> Eric Cat Wright isn't a typical manager. Not only is he taller than probably every other manager in history, but he's a Hall of Fame caliber wrestler, former WWA world champion in Los Angeles, a man who was a big drawing card everywhere, difficult to work with. And that's part of why he never got to, let's say, a Bobo Brazil-type level. He was always a notch below because promoters trusted Bobo. They didn't trust Bearcat. And Bearcat had a lot of issues and walked out of a lot of places. And actually, after this, he would be aligned at times with Ron Pope, Zulu, who we mentioned earlier. And they ended up working together. So Bearcat, I wouldn't call him sensitive. I would say more determined. Well, we're definitely going to
0: see a lighter side of Bearcat. (laughs) <laughs> of Bearcat, right? Uh, as we listen to this uh, promo taped with the great promoter himself, Nick Goulis. Let's roll this rare WHBQ audio clip now.
10: And the Mongolian stalker. Let me announce
9: this first. The matches this week at the Midtown Coliseum will be on Tuesday night. There's other activities in the building, but Tuesday night. We got one of the greatest cars in the history of wrestling never been signed. Headline was one of the biggest return NWA Southern Heavyweight Championship matches signed in the history of wrestling for message. When the Mongolian Stomper and his manager, Bad Chad Wright, has been signed to go against the world's greatest athlete, the magnificent Zula. This match will have no time limit, no disqualification, winner take all, no hold part, and no count out. That means it's going to be a clear cut decision, one way or the other. One man is going to have to be pinned. And I guarantee tell you one thing, Magnificent Zula said, he's going to do everything in his power to win that title Tuesday night. What have you got to say about this match back yet, right now, that we got all these stipulations so the First
11: of all, the man's hold should be barred. It's something that should not be allowed to be in an athletic competition. It had me have to spend four days with four different chiropractors Rearranging the ribs of the Mongolian Stomper to keep from having a permanent injury. It should be barred exactly like the pile driver or a sledgehammer or anything of that sort. You have done everything you can, Mr. Boone, to try and beat the Stomper. You tried with Lawler and the Fullers and everything. Now you went to the depths of it, to some old back alley bars in New York City where they got nothing but a bunch of muscle-neck geeks. and you come out with one of the strongest men in the world with a lousy hope, and the man stood there and let him hang on and hang on and hang on. There is no justice whatsoever. Nobody broke it up, and I see you smiling around there. I wish for something to club him right in the head with. I'll tell you something. Terrible thing for me because I traveled all over the world to find this man, and now they're going to bring some big old goof in here and try to crush his ribs out and crush my life out along with it. Well, it ain't going to happen. Let me compose myself just a second. thing. it ain't going to happen, Nicola. You didn't get it done, and you ain't going to get it done. Let me tell you one thing when you look at Tamagin. I'll have him ready for that big troop of Zulu wherever he comes from. And we'll send him back where he belongs to hang with the rest of his by time by the tail in a jail someplace. The will never we'll have any problem from me. I guarantee it. Yeah, I'll tell
9: you one thing. You'll see Monday night. I know what magnificent, magnificent zulu has got. This is his biggest chance of his career to win that NWA Southern Heavyweight Championship. Let's go back to Dave Brown now and he'll announce a complete card. And don't forget once again... The matches will be on Tuesday night because other activities are taking the Coliseum on Monday. We'll see you Tuesday night. Let's go back to Dave Brown. All right, thank you, Nick. We've already covered the
4: card, but to remind you, in addition to the game event and other matches on the card, Tuesday night at the Mid-South Coliseum, well, we have heard from uh, Bearcat Wright and the and the Stalker, man, uh, they were not at all happy with uh, the hold at the Magnificent Zoo
9: put on them last Monday night down at the Mid-South Coliseum, and uh we're
0: going to bring uh, Zulu in here right now. And, uh- <laughs> Excuse me, Brian, you're, uh, you're going to have to give me just a minute. I just, uh that just moved me. So much to hear, Bearcat, bear his soul like that. <sighs> okay. All right, I've pulled it together. But uh, one great thing that we have going on here as well, Nick Goulis is once again selling this as the greatest card in history. And then he throws it back to Dave Brown to continue selling this as there's going to be a record-breaking house at the Coliseum. And Dave just no-sells it. Ah, Nick, uh, we've already gone over the card. Thank you very much. Because Jarrett, you know, as he told us in episode one, he instructed Dave Brown and Lance Russell, hey, if you don't think this is the greatest card ever, don't act like it. And certainly with Zulu and Stomper on top, Dave Brown really didn't think it was that much of a card. So after Zulu's run ran its course, another top baby face was brought in to challenge the Stomper, uh, the charismatic Bob Armstrong, a good Southern worker and frankly one of the best dancers I've ever seen. <laughs> Can you pull off some of the moves that uh, that the bullet can do, Brian? Uh, no, I do not believe I
8: can. <laughs>
0: well, uh, his return to the Coliseum uh, made an impact. It drew 10,000 fans. But something happened, though. Somehow between September 9th and September 15th, The Stomper was allowed to cut his own promo after being embarrassed in a push-up challenge by Armstrong and Chattanooga without Bearcat present. Now, you already talked about how Bearcat could be difficult to work with. Well, Stomper was that way, too. You know, Stomper would kind of get a sense that maybe the promoter was changing directions and maybe was a little paranoid and would leave the promotion. Well, this time, Bearcat left first. So, someone made the decision to let the Stomper, who for months... has (laughs) has <laughs> been saying nothing but Mongolian gibberish do his own promo where he's speaking fluent English and uh by this time he's he's actually picked up a little bit of a southern twang which just absolutely crushed his drawing power short term in the city has only 5000 fans turned out for the rematch with Armstrong let's go to that promo from the greatest athlete to ever come out of outer mongolia
4: for- and being in the best shape, and the Mongolian Stomper challenged Bob, and then you saw it, and here he is, Kabujan, the Mongolian Stomper, who will be defending against Bob Armstrong this coming Monday night at the Memphis Mid-South Coliseum, and you saw the events that led up to this challenge taking place.
5: Last time when I was out here do my own talking, I was under a lot of pressure. And I'm going to do my own talking again because I'm under a whole lot of pressure. The president of the NWA and Nick Goulas can't stand. They can't stand Tamujin wearing this Southern Heavyweight Championship belt. Take where Bob Armstrong affiliated really me. Embarrassed me in front of everybody on television with a push-up. I still claim to hold the world's title in push-ups 55 and 30 seconds. But I wasn't training every day like I do when I put my push-up title on the line. But the NWA, President and Nick Goulas, forced me into doing the push-ups to see what happened. I wasn't ready. Bob Armstrong, let me tell you something. You might have been the heavyweight boxing champion of the Marine Corps. You might have come in second in the World Tournament for Karate in South Korea. You might have been the only man that ever broke Jack Frisco's arm. But I want to tell you something. I might have been out of condition to defend my World Trophy for push-ups. But this belt I wear around my middle, I'm going to defend Monday night in the Coliseum here in Memphis. And I'm in condition for this. Because the more pain that's conflicted into this... The blood that flows, the better I like it. And you're going to be in for the damnedest fight you ever had in your life, Bob Armstrong. Because I've been training harder, and I'm in better condition... When that film was shown, there was no contract signed for a title match, but it's signed now. The match is signed now, Bob Armstrong. So come down to the Coliseum and be prepared to fight because they don't call me the stomper for nothing. I don't wear these number 13 for nothing. I wear them because I squash heads. I kick ripped in. And I break both. But one thing about it, I come out a winner. A push-up contest was the only time in my entire career that i was ever defeated, humiliated. It'll never happen again. Never will happen again. So come prepared to fight, on Armstrong.
4: Mongolia if you think I'm going to say anything.
0: So, after Archie Goldie opened his mouth and effectively killed his gimmick and ruined his mystique, he had to get out of town fast. So, he dropped a loser leave town match to Jerry Lawler out of nowhere on October 27th, drawing less than 7,000 fans. Now, that match would have easily packed the Mid South Coliseum months earlier, but Memphis fans, uh, you know, say to one about uh, their intellect, they knew that they'd been duped by uh, this guy who had claimed to be from outer Mongolia. So now it was time to uh, spark the houses as only the king could do, and that's as a heel. On November 17th, the seeds are planted as Lawler and Armstrong beat the interns with Dr. Ken Ramey to end their long reign as Southern Tag Team Champions. And, you know, all seemed right with the world uh, until it was announced on TV the following Saturday that Lawler, not Southern Champion Bob Armstrong, would be getting a return shot with Jack Briscoe in December. And Armstrong also kind of insinuated with a little country jive that uh, Lawler had the night off, that uh, that he had done most of the work in defeating the interns, which, of course, didn't sit too well with the King of Memphis. Uh, although a Hill turn was teased by Armstrong, we all know by now that it was the King who went back to the dark side, breaking Bob's ribs after losing clean in the middle of the ring on Monday, November 24th. And the following week, he was back with Sam Bass. Now, this set up a tournament for the vacant Southern title because Armstrong was going to be out of action for months. Now, back in those days, promoters worked together, you know, to help get programs over, to introduce a new championship, or to help a star in his debut. So, supposedly, promoters from at least eight states, including... Atlanta's Jim Barnett and Florida's Eddie Graham sent stars to Memphis with tape promos claiming that they had to win tournaments in those areas to be able to even punch their ticket to enter the final phase of the tournament at the Coliseum. So let's uh, listen to the representatives of Kentucky, Florida, and Georgia discuss winning the most important belt in the South while a bemused hill Jerry Lawler listens on.
1: ...tournament to determine the Southern Heavyweight Champion. And one of the entrants is none other than the Kentucky State Champion, the one and only, most dangerous wrestler in the world, Dick the Bruiser.
3: Every six months, they let the gorilla out of the cage. Every six months, I break the bars out of the Cook County Jail in Chicago, and I come south... My time has come. I am not the Kentucky state champion. I just whipped everybody in Kentucky. I won the finals in Louisville, and now I'm going to represent Kentucky for the Southern Heavyweight Wrestling Championship in Memphis. I'm coming to Memphis with the same attitude that you people in Memphis have seen me before. I'm a gorilla out of the cage. They don't let me out too long. Just long enough to eat four or five stops of bananas, break some bones, punch in some noses, tear off a couple ears, and then they chase me back to the cage. So when I'm in Memphis, I'm going to win the Southern Heavyweight Championship. I'm going to beat Lawler. I'm going to beat the other goose. I'm taking the Southern Heavyweight Championship right back with me to my little grass shack in Hawaii where my cousin the creature stays and we're gonna add it to our belts. So Memphis, watch out, I'm here, I'm tough, and I'm here to win the Southern Heavyweight Championship.
4: And there's nobody like him unless it's the guy that's sitting right here with me and he knows him pretty (laughs) well, and that's uh, Jerry Lawler. I
12: hope that Dick the Loser has ate his bananas and broke his bones and punched in his noses and bit off his ears because I'm fixing to be the one to chase him back in his little cage. Now, you can go ahead on with your interviews. I just want to come out here and watch these dupes. Go ahead, man.
4: Okay, uh, we'll have some more comments uh, pertaining to losers and bruisers and so forth. Lawler will be going against Bruiser in one half of the semifinal bracket. The next guy that we want you to hear from is a a really outstanding athlete from Florida. He led the charges of Florida and defeated some tough ones down there. We're talking about Bob Roop. Let's take a listen to Bob Roop.
1: Here in Florida, it's my pleasure to have with me now Bob Roop, the gentleman who has qualified for the tremendous Southern Heavyweight Championship Tournament to be held uh, in Memphis, and I might just say that... uh, Bob Group has defeated all comers in qualifying for this tournament. There will be nine finalists uh, in a one-night round robin. That's going to prove to be quite a uh, quite a tournament, indeed. Well,
13: oh, that's right, Sully. It's going to be a tournament. I thought maybe you would want to congratulate me.
1: Well, obviously, recognition is in order for the fact that you uh, were so highly successful. I know. No, want... no, no,
13: no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about congratulations for winning the Southern Heavyweight Championship.
1: Aren't you putting the cart a bit ahead of the horse here? The the tournament hasn't been held. Well,
13: let me ask you, who is there in this tournament that is of the quality of Bob Bruce?
1: Well, there are several great competitors. One I can think of right offhand who won in the state of Kentucky and uh, eliminated everybody there. A man who's had an international reputation for a number of years uh, Dick the Bruiser. Dick the Bruiser.
13: Dick the Bruiser is the old school. Bob Roof the All-American is the new breed let me ask you this was Dick the Bruiser ever an Olympic champion you people take a look at this this is an Olympic gold medal there's nobody in that tournament that has the kind of background and qualifications as the man you see sitting before you now it's really a shame that Bobby Armstrong broke his ribs but in the near future If he hadn't broken his ribs with someone else, I would have done it for him. Because the Southern Heavyweight title is a title that is coveted by any wrestler who calls himself a wrestler in the South. I'm the best wrestler in the South, and I should be wearing the Southern Heavyweight title. Believe me, when I come to Memphis, it'll be my first visit. Hopefully it'll be my last. But when I leave there,
1: I will leave there
13: as the champion do you have any doubt about that jordan soley well,
1: may i just say this in regards to mr Rupp, and for those of you who may not be totally familiar with his background <clears throat> it is the fact that he competed in the olympics in 1968 in mexico city he was all army champion three times a national aau champion he has held many regional titles and turning professional he's held a host of top titles including the florida heavyweight championship and I, I must admit that the man has a tremendous skill and great ability in the ring. He's primarily a Greco-Roman competitor, and I'm talking about an upper-body wrestler. But uh,
13: I can do it all, solely. It doesn't matter. What counts is success, and success is winning, and winning is money. And let me tell you people something. I'm a very, very wealthy man because I have not been beaten and I'm not coming to Memphis to let any of those second-rate clowns in that tournament up there or any of those locals up there pin my shoulders to the mat. What I'm telling you is that right now, take a good look. You're looking at the new Southern Heavyweight Champion because when I win the belt, I'm leaving that town there and I don't plan on
1: coming back. Well, obviously, if a contract called for defending that title in Memphis, that's exactly what you'd have to do, a Southern NBA champion. Mr. Roof, I hate to dispute that uh, word of yours, but the championship represents the nine Southern states, and obviously then uh, the champion is incumbent upon him to defend that title within those nine Southern states. There you have it, one of the challengers, one of the men in the tournament for the Southern Championship, Bob Roof.
4: Maybe that you uh, (laughs) heard that comment about the lope. He wasn't coming up here for anything.
12: Big bad Bob Root, boy. Well, you know, he must not be too smart, Lance, because I heard him mention Dick the Bruiser and Bob Armstrong, and he mentioned everybody except the King. Well, I'm going to give him a little education come Monday night to just exactly who the king in baby. That's all I got for Bob
4: Roop. That's Bob Roop, uh, Bob, who is an Olympic gold medalist and some kind of wrestler, no question about it. He's got credentials. He's got something else, and uh, that's conversation, too. He, uh, he's got a mouth on him. I just am looking. Well, let's take a listen right now to the winner of the Georgia tournament. This is a guy you're completely familiar with, but he wanted to say some words back here, Ron Fuller.
1: Southern heavyweight champion, there will be a tournament now to decide a new champion since he's unable to participate. And our entry from the state of Georgia is Ron Fuller, who won the Georgia championship. Ron, a little about the competition you'll be meeting
14: in Memphis this coming Monday night. Well, Phil, I'm not sure about all the entries. Uh, I don't think that all of them are in as of yet, but uh, I know that representing the state of Florida is Bob Roof, and uh, I had... uh, an opportunity to work out Roof a lot quite a few years ago, and uh, he's a fantastic wrestler. He wrestled in the Olympics. He was a couple of times national champion and uh, had quite a reputation as an amateur and uh, and has made himself even more reputation as a pro. He's really, really a tough man. Uh, I know that representing the state of Kentucky, I've heard of Dick Bruiser, and it uh, goes without saying that Dick Bruiser undoubtedly, is one of the greatest of all time, and uh, uh, i'm really looking forward to this tournament i think uh, any athlete that uh, that is a true athlete loves competition and, and and my experience in wrestling thus far i've never seen a, comp- a tournament with the type of competition that this one has and uh, i'm certainly looking forward to it i'm happy to be representing georgia and it was a tough tough battle getting there and uh, winning the, the championship from the state of georgia and uh, i would certainly like to be southern champion again because i was southern champion for a while and uh like I said, it was an honor. It was a great honor for me to be the Southern Heavyweight Champion, and I'd love to do it again. Who did you defeat in the state of Georgia to get to the tournament in Memphis, Tennessee? Well, I had to wrestle wrestling two, uh Tim Woods, uh, Tor Tanaka. There was quite a few guys in the tournament there, and uh, and I was lucky enough to get a win. And as I said, uh, I have been the Southern Heavyweight Champion before, and I won it in Memphis, Tennessee, and. Uh, i I tell you phil the fans there in memphis have been absolutely fantastic to me and i was born actually about 80 miles north of memphis so that's like coming back home and uh, it's like wrestling in my backyard and i'm certainly looking forward to it how many states will be represented in this uh, particular tournament i'm actually not sure phil but i'm certain that it will be six or eight at least and uh and like i said the competition is going to be absolutely unreal i know if the rest of the states are as well represented as florida and Kentucky, and I'm sure that Tennessee will be well represented, and I'm looking forward to a big night Monday. I'm sure you'll represent our state of Georgia well, Rod. I'm going to do my very best, Phil, and uh, I would like to say to the people in Memphis that I'm looking forward to coming back to Memphis, and that I certainly would like to be the Southern Heavyweight Champion come Monday night about midnight.
4: Georgia and Kentucky, and here, of course, is the Tennessee representative. By default, I might say, in that Bill Dundee is unable to enter the Southern Heavyweight Title due to an unfortunate accident. <laughs>
12: by default, by default, i broke his neck. That's the fault of it, right, Lance?
4: Yeah, that was. Really Why don't great you great
12: tell day. the people, boy? That was funny. The old, just watching that. Well, uh do you what he used to call himself? The Tennessee Stud. <laughs> he looked like the Tennessee Dud now, sitting there talking about wrestling in his backyard well brother i got news for you ron fuller this ain't gonna be like no backyard match you ever been in i got news for you first of all before i talk about that tournament you know really i stand out here today i'm a little bit ashamed of myself i really i really feel like bending over and letting sam kick me after what i did down there monday night
5: because
9: i
12: told you oh yeah
9: would you please
12: you know what lance if you don't watch it i'll quit talking about your big nose and you can sink back into oblivion like you were before you met me (laughs)
2: i'll tell
12: you what though you know i got a word there's a word in the wrestling profession for all these people here in memphis and it's called useless and i told all you people just how useless you were last week and i told bill dundee how useless they were and he said oh brother all my fans gonna be out there behind me well look what it got you bill dundee and I should be kicked because in spite of myself, I still went out there and did you people a favor. After all that you've done to me and after all I've done for you, I went out there and did you another favor and now I need to be kicked because wouldn't it be a shame? Wouldn't you people be embarrassed and humiliated? You'd be the joke of the country if the straight state of Tennessee was represented by Bill Dundee in the Southern Heavyweight Tournament. What a joke that would have been. And I realized that the minute that he pulled that chain out of his tights. he stooped to the low, low tactics of pulling a chain out and winning that match with a chain. I realized, I said, Jerry, you've lost the match. Bill Dundee has done it to you. Now he's going to represent the great state of Tennessee. And I said to myself right then, I said, I can't let that happen. Before I thought, I said, I can't let it happen. So I jumped on that boy. I remember back when I was a little kid, I found me a little fat boy in my neighborhood there that I could whip. And you know what? When I found a boy I could whip, I whipped him once a day, every day. As soon as I saw him, I went over right over there and I whipped him. Whipped him real good and that's what I did with Bill Dundee. I jumped on him, I threw him through that rope right there and I hung that little pencil neck of his up in the ropes and he had to make a little trip down to the hospital in an ambulance. That's what I did for you people and I hope you appreciate it. Now you know what else gets me? This is really funny, Lance. I walk out in that Coliseum and see the people. A lot of people are sitting out there right now saying, Boy, that's the king. Look at him go, man. Look at that king go. He's really burning them, ain't he? What you people don't realize is I'm talking to you. I'm talking to all you goofs that walk up to me and say, I don't care what they say, king. I'm still for you. you are the ones I don't need. You're the useless ones, the ones that bow down on their knees out there when I walk out in the Coliseum and say, Oh, king, we're still for you. I don't need you, brother. I showed you and I showed that little pencil neck, Bill Dundee, just how useless you people really were last Monday night. You didn't do him a bit of good. He still went to the hospital right along with you people. And I'm gonna show you again Monday night, I'm gonna be the Southern Heavyweight Champion without you people. I don't need you. I'm not winning it for you, brother. I'm winning it for myself and Mr. Sam Bass right here. And you stood out here, Lance Russell, and made a big deal about Jack Briscoe losing the belt. It ain't no big deal, brother. If it hadn't have been Terry Funk, it'd have been me, and I'm already the world's heavyweight champion. I beat Jack Briscoe a long time before Terry Funk even saw him, and when that Terry Funk comes to Memphis, I'm gonna lift his little belt off of him, and you're gonna be making your little fancy announcement about the king of wrestling, Jerry Lawler, brothers and sisters. And we're gonna I tell you what else we're gonna do. We're gonna smarten a few of you people up around here. We're going to make you realize just exactly what's going on. We're going to start right in Memphis, and we're going to make a little circle. We're going to branch out and expand out, and we're going to run over every town and every city and every person that gets in our way. Starting tonight in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Tomorrow night we're going to branch out up to that little hick town of Plyable, Arkansas. Then we're going to run over, what is it? Uh, what's the name of that Dale Mississippi? What a joke, brother! We're gonna run over everybody, and we're gonna finish it up. We're gonna beat Dick the Loser. We're gonna beat Bob Roop, and we're gonna beat the Tennessee Dud, and we're gonna be the Southern Heavyweight Champion come yeah, Monday oh, night. If you're gonna
4: do all that running. You better Save
12: get
9: night in Jonesboro, man.
4: You better start running right now. Just run right on out of here. Lawler off again on one of his tirades after breaking the ribs of Bob Armstrong and uh, hurting the neck of Bill Dundee. He's going to have a guy who he really deserves, and Dick the Bruiser is his semifinal match in there on one half of the bracket. And Bob Roop will be going against Ron Fuller in the other half. We've got wrestling action.
0: So I love the way that series of promos really gets over the fact that this is a prestigious tournament coming up at the Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis. Jerry Jarrett mentioned in our very first episode that he had allies and Georgia promoter Jim Barnett, uh, as well as Florida's Eddie Graham. So, uh, of course, he reached out to them for some help and sending in some of their stars. And they also taped promos cut with local announcers to get over the perception that the Southern Championship was the belt to shoot for for at least eight states in the region. And that this, this title was not only defended on Memphis and Monday nights, it was defended everywhere throughout the South. Another thing that, <laughs> that I thought was sort of funny in that interview, and you kind of hear Lance mumble under his breath, but Lawler admits that he made a mistake, and he offered to bend over to let Sam Bass kick him in the butt. And you can barely hear Lance going, oh, well, I'd volunteer to do the kicking. And then Lawler fires back... <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just uh, another example of the great dynamic that those two had playing off each other. And, uh, you know, he mentions all those punk kids running up to him for his autograph. You know, that they think the king is still pretty cool. And, you know, I was that way in 1979 when Lawler turned on Dundee and I was still running up to the king and asking for his autograph. So he was probably telling me like, hey, Brett, get away. I, I don't need you. You can cheer for me all you want, but I don't need you. You need me more than I need you. But anyway, the year starts off with the king in exile. He's pretty much lost his power. He no longer has the Southern Heavyweight Championship. He's forced to lose clean in front of his hometown fans against Jack Brisco. He's banished for half the year. He comes back. He doesn't even immediately regain the Southern Heavyweight Championship, but by year's end, The king is sitting atop the throne once again because he goes on to win that tournament. I thought it was some classic booking by Jarrett. You heard Ron Fuller talking about how he not only had to beat uh, Tim Woods, Mr. Wrestling One, but also Mr. Wrestling Two, and I think Tor Tanaka to even get into the tournament. Bob Roop was uh, talking about his uh, Olympic accolades, and he considered himself to be such a tough wrestler. He didn't even mention the local Jerry Lawler has a serious threat in this tournament. But the King showed him because he came out on top. And really, he only had to pin one person. He won by disqualification (laughs) over Dick the Bruiser and then went on to pin Ron Fuller in the main event. So, of course, this sets up a big match to close out 1975. Bob Armstrong returning with the injured Bill Dundee to go after Sam Bass and Jerry Lawler, who agree for some reason to meet these guys who are out for royal blood in a cage match. Now, why would they agree to do this? Are they crazy? Or are they crazy like a fox? Well, as it turns out, they had Professor Tora Tanaka waiting in the wings. And of course, you'll hear a few mentions uh, you know, to Pearl Harbor. But that's exactly what happens in a sense, because Tanaka comes in and they do a number on Bob Armstrong and send him out of the territory for months, re-injuring his ribs. So, like they would often do, When a babyface was wronged and he didn't need a wrestler to get revenge, he needed a fighter. He went to Nashville and got on that classic couch that Jackie Fargo, I think, owned for 50 years and basically begged Jackie to come help him out in Memphis. And uh, Jackie didn't need too much convincing. And you'll also notice at the beginning of this next clip from WHBQ. That there's a little miscue that happens in the beginning, but, hey, they just roll with it. Let's play that clip now.
6: Memphis wrestling fans were at the home of Jackie Fargo. Along with him is Bill Dundee. To best describe what these two would like to say, I'd like to turn it over now to Bill Dundee. Thanks, Mike. So you good people in
7: Memphis know this Jerry Lawler's been a pain in the neck to me for a long time. He had that big Professor Tanaka climb over the bull wire last week. So I thought he had a secret weapon, so I got one too. All of this is just for you, and here it is right here.
10: Let me tell you something, Lawler. You're a loud mouthed little punk. You talk big and you talk loud and you wanna run around bragging about hurting people and breaking their ribs and hurting their necks. Well, I've been obligated to Florida and Alabama Booking Agency. I've been down there for uh, six or seven months and have been doing very successful. I got the opportunity to come back to Memphis, Tennessee to wrestle you. I jumped at it. I was supposed to have been booked in Mobile, Alabama Sunday. But I quickly got on the phone and got them to release me. You had your secret weapon last week, huh? Well, Bill Dundee's got a secret weapon this week, pal, and that's the fabulous Jackie Fargo. In case you're not familiar with him, let me familiarize familiarize you with him. I've never known to be a great wrestler, but I'm one of the best street fighters and the best brawlers that's ever been in the wrestling profession. And you loudmouth punk you and I call you to a a punk to your face. I never did like you. Even when you tried to be a nice boy. I knew you didn't fool me one bit. You double-crossed me once before in the ring in Memphis, Tennessee. And I won't ever forget that. Let me tell you something. I'm coming to Memphis, Tennessee Sunday night. With one intention, Pally. To cripple you, Mr. Lawler. I laid up here for five and a half months with some broken ribs. You don't know what it's like? I do. Let me tell you this, Mr. Lawler. I'm going to be centered on you. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to be centered on that good-looking face of yours you call yourself. I'm going to be centered on them ribs of yours partner like Bill Dundee, I know his wrestling ability. He's got more wrestling ability in his little finger than you've got in your whole body, Pally. The only thing you got going for you is your big mouth. Well, that mouth don't win wrestling matches, Pally. Determination wins wrestling matches and guts. And that's something I got plenty of, boy. And I call you a boy to your face. You're a boy. So when you come to Memphis Monday, Sunday night, don't come prepared to wrestle the fabulous one. Get your best hold. If Tanaka's your best hold, Pally, you have him. I'm going to say this once more. I'm going to be centered on you, Lawler. You're not going to like it when it's all over, Pally, and I am. Me and Mr. Bill's going to strut like a peacock. Bill, I won't let you down, Pally
6: you've heard the word from Jackie Fargo and Bill Dundee it all takes place Sunday night the Memphis Mid-South Coliseum
4: as a matter of fact that's an actual factual and the fabulous one is going to be back here after a long absence and here comes the guy he's going to be in
7: there with Bill Dundee Bill good to What's see you, tell you, you man. the fabulous one said it all Lawler, I hope you're sitting back in a hole to listen to that now I'm going to tell you something, you're slant-eyed nothing. You're awful brave when you climb over the boulevard when there's nobody watching you. Well, listen, buddy boy pedal harbors starting all over again then in the Coliseum on Sunday, boy. Now, let me tell you, boy, you're big and brave when it comes in here to sneaking up on a guy and giving him one of them judo chops, whatever you call him, from behind. Okay, so you hurt Armstrong. Big deal. Now, just like that fabulous one said guy, come prepared to fight. Not to wrestle, to fight. Because Lawler, you bring them all in, Lawler i just figured something out, guy. You've lost all confidence in you, Lola. You can't do it by yourself no more, boy. So you're bringing them all in. First it was Sam Bass. Now it's that big jet. Okay, bring them all in, Lola. Bring them all. Just bring them all down here anytime you like, boy. But Sunday's your last day, boy. I kid you not. The fabulous one. He mightn't be the best wrestler, but he's one tough street fighter, Lola. And that's more than I can say for you. And that's about all i got to say on the subject because it don't bother me no more. Lance, I want to thank you. All you good people in Jonesboro, we'll see you tonight. Okay, there's Bill Dundee. And, uh, didn't take
4: too many words to get what he had to say done. You know, I hadn't thought about that. I hadn't seen Lawler uh, challenging these guys one at a time. He uh, did have Sam in there. Now he's got this... Giant Jap uh, Tanaka in there, and it should be some kind of a battle, and that's the kind that Fargo is most accustomed to. When the rules get a little uh, soft and bent here and there, and you can start swinging a little bit, Jackie likes it, and I've seen Bill Dundee do his share of it too. We're going to be back with more wrestling action for you in just a moment.
0: So, of course, Jerry Lawler is not going to take it too well to hearing the man that he knocked off the throne, Jackie Fargo, running him down as a punk kid. He's got Professor Tanaka in his corner, and they appear to be an unbeatable team. I believe Lance Russell refers to Tanaka as the giant Jap. But uh, at any rate, it looks like that Sam Bass has formed an unbeatable combination. And as far as the king is concerned, Fargo is washed up. Now, typically, it was stressed that you were really never supposed to talk about the age of an older opponent. But in this case, it just made sense. You know, Jerry Jarrett talked about Shakespeare for the masses. And here you have this tale of the student, the guy who broke the king into the business, is now the one who is not, he's already knocked him off the throne, but now he's ready to retire, Jackie Fargo, and really just shows an awful lack of respect. Let's listen to that clip now.
4: See if we can get the king out here with Sam, and uh, also see if uh, his partner for this coming Sunday night will be along, too, because t- what was the time on that thing, dude? Then at 49, Tanaka ended up with a victory over Randy Fargo. Well, here they are. Hello, and Hello Sam. i uh Hans, like to
9: Tanaka. say something, baby. All right. You know, old Sam's done it again. He's come up with another winning team, baby. Look what I've got here, Professor Tanaka and Jerry Lawler. How can you beat a team like this? There's no way, Lance Russell. Now the king here's got a few choice words he wants to say, and then Tanaka's got a few words. Tanaka, would you step over here, please? I want you to stand behind Lawler. I'm oh. going to get over out of your way.
12: First of all, before you before you do, Sam, would you mind fixing Lance's hair? He got a cowlick here that won't wait, baby. I've been looking at that out there on the monitor, and I just there. You got it. Oh, all thanks right. A lot. Okay, what do you got to say? What do you got to say? You know what, Lance, you ought to pal around with a halfwit so you have somebody to look up to. But you know, here's what I want to say. I I've been watching. I've been watching this. Dundee said. I hope I'm. I hope Lawler's watching out there. Well, I have been watching Dundee, and this this is really great. I am really looking forward to it. You know, it is what could be more appropriate to usher in the new year. Bill Dundee went out and got old father time for his, for his partner.
5: <laughs> can, you, can you imagine?
12: Do you know, Professor, I don't know how familiar you are with Jackie Fargo. Well, you just you just went up against one of the Fargos, and I think he's a lot younger than Jackie, and he's a lot better wrestler than Jackie, so you can about judge what Jackie Fargo is from, from what you just wrestled. But it is, this is really great. You know, Fargo... I got a few words to say to you you really your destiny is no longer in your hands you should have quit while it was still up to you but now it's no longer up to you anymore it's up to the professor and the king and we're going to retire you from wrestling come tomorrow night remember that Fargo tomorrow night when you step in a ring when you look around at all those people you just realize before the match ever starts just say to yourself This is my last night in professional wrestling. So think about that, Fargo. You know you're washed up. You know you're a has-been. I watched you on that interview, and I know. The people say, boy, he's really mad at that Jerry Lawler. He's not mad. He's envious because he looks at me, and he sees everything that he wishes he could be. But those days are all gone for you, Fargo. You're washed up, you're over the hill, you're big. And fat. Right. We don't call him Fargo anymore, we call him Porky. And you know, hey, you know why his big, fat belly looks like a beer keg, Sam? Because that's what he uses it for.
5: That's right. It's no secret, Fargo. Everybody knows
12: about you around town, baby. This is Mr. Fargo. I watch a monitor. He's a big, fat old man. Yeah, that's him. Why they put a fat old man inside me? Just a silly thing. Hey, it's great, Professor. I want you to know, Fargo, that it's all over for you. Tomorrow night. You talk about. It. It seems like everybody I watch on TV that's doing an interview to me is telling me, Lawler, you're gonna know how it feels to lay up with broken ribs and busted bodies and everything. Never It'll happen. It'll never happen. I haven't felt it yet. We put last week, we put Armstrong out. We put that pencil neck Dundee out. Now Dundee says that I'm looking for partners. It looks like you're looking for partners, boy. Now you've gone out and scraped up the bottom of the barrel. The old man himself, Jackie Fargo. And I got news for you. It ain't going to get the job done, baby. Not with the professor here.
5: Old man the young boy. No comparison.
12: <laughs> uh, I, 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 I must say, though, Jerry,
4: in all fairness to the folks that weren't there last week, that uh, Armstrong and Dundee were doing a number on you and Sam when the professor saw fit. Why, I don't know. But he What?
12: What? When they say you're the MC of this show, that don't stand for mental case. Don't come out here and make a fool out of yourself in front of the people. They know what happened if the professor hadn't climbed that wire. I would have killed those two idiots. He came in there merely to pull me off of them right. and save them. Right. You were sitting there and you know yourself. They never saw daylight from the time that bell rang. stand there and tell the people. There's a the camera yeah, right I'm there. there. I don't have Look at them. it. Tell them. They
9: were down tell down them there the truth. God. I must have this man. too
12: many you know. That's yeah. the only thing he came in there to do is save them. But it still ended up crippling Armstrong. And I'm gonna do the same thing to you, Fats Fargo. I want you to remember that I hate you. You talk about, you talk about me being a punk. Well, you just remember before you go in there, don't wave that. I know what it means, Lance. You just remember that, Fargo. It's all over for you tomorrow night. It's your last night in professional wrestling. Okay, we heard it from uh, Jerry the King Lawler. He goes out here and
4: brings in the one-man gang and his uh, Professor Tanaka. And they will be tangling with a fabulous Jackie Fargo and Bill Dundee, and it just may not be that easy, friends.
0: So Jackie returns in 1976 to team with Dundee to wage war against the King and Professor Tanaka, And then from that point on, Fargo starts showing up in Memphis a lot more, but now he's used in a different role. He occasionally wrestles, but he's also being used to get over young talent. Guys like Tommy Rich, Ricky Gibson, the fact that Fargo was sitting in the corner of Gibson in a battle against Lawler helped draw a crowd of 11,700 people in 1976. That's how over Jackie Fargo still was. But they knew if they used him sparingly that he could still be a huge drawing card. But if they tried to put him out there every week like Dick the Bruiser and trying to make it sound like, you know, he was still as tough as he ever was, you know, Fargo even admits, hey, man, I'm not the greatest wrestler, but he's one hell of a fighter, pally. And that's exactly what Bill Dundee needed when he stepped in there with the king and the professor. So now we're going to shift gears really quick and go from 1976 to 1977 to 1980. We're going to speak with Mark James, Memphis wrestling historian, about his latest book about the Tennessee Athletic Commission. Let's go to that interview with Mark now. There's nothing more than I enjoy doing than talking wrestling with a longtime fan. And this guy I've known for about, gosh, 10 years now. And when we get together, we can talk for hours about Memphis wrestling. We don't have time to do that today, but we do have time to talk about his new book. Memphis Wrestling History presents Tennessee Athletic Commission Memphis Filings 1977 to 1980. Now, I'm talking about Mark James from MemphisWrestlingHistory.com. Now, Mark, I have to say. When I saw the title, I was thinking, eh, not too sexy. Uh, but when, <laughs> but when I, when I looked and uh, read a little bit deeper about what the book was about, it sounds like the coolest project you've done yet.
15: Yeah. Uh, when I was first in, uh, found the uh, at the state library, I found all the old Tennessee Athletic Commission archives. I was looking through them, and said, "Oh, this is pretty cool stuff." I thought nothing big, and then I started looking deeper and deeper into it. I said, "Wait a minute." Let me look this up, let me look that up. There's all these little things that, as fans, if you weren't really there or whatever, you never got to know what was going on. Uh, you know, they Memphis once had a 50-man battle royal, but they never told who was the 50 men in the battle royal. Well, me being the crazy fan I was, I wanted to know. Well, I looked it up in here, and I found out who the 50 guys were. So, I mean, there's what, what, little was it? nitpicky Stevens things like that. Yeah, Ray Stevens, Bobby Duncombe, Ivan Putzky, uh wow, guys man. that you would not associate with Memphis wrestling at all. A lot of guys from uh, Texas actually came up for that show. But it was, you know, stuff like that I never knew because I wasn't able to attend that card. So that kind of, that was one of the first things that piqued my interest. And then I was able to go, well, let me look at this. Let me look at that. And I had also heard a lot of times that uh, the newspaper clippings uh, or the newspaper results of the card, the attendance numbers weren't always accurate. They were not. Oh, I
0: find that hard to believe.
15: Yeah, I know. I know. (laughs) So. Uh, so I went back and looked, and that was one of the great things about the book as well. The papers is they have the exact the accounts. They have the tickets, the exact tickets sold, the exact money earned. And the uh, the great thing about that is the reason I can count on that is because the Coliseum, the Coliseum where those cards were held, also had to turn in a tax record filing for that same card. So they had to be the same. Or, right. you know, people started asking questions. So it was confirmation on that. These are the hard actual numbers.
0: Right, and I think sometimes in the local newspaper they would often say, uh, "Guy Coffee or Jerry Jarrett estimated the crowd to be this number." Right. Um, yeah, how far off were they? Were they usually within like a thousand people, or
15: yeah, that that's actually about what they were off. They were within a thousand, uh, sometimes a little over, sometimes a little under, um, but usually right around a five hundred to a thousand people off. So for eyeballing it, which is probably what they were doing at the time, uh, it was, it was close, but you know, thankfully now with this stuff, we actually have the accurate numbers.
0: And you also have the identities of every mass wrestler who came through. And so, you know, we've had Jerry Jarrett on the show who told us all about Aaron Rodriguez coming in as Milmas and doing a stretcher (laughs) job for Jackie Fargo. Uh, I was on Austin Idol show. He said it was indeed the real deal, I think Cornette still thought it was Pepe Lopez somehow back from the dead, but yes, the zombie. You've uncovered it, right?
15: <laughs> yeah, it's in the book. I, I'm not going to give it away. You got to buy the book to find out. But it <laughs> actually shows it shows who was on the card, and that's how it doesn't have the mask wrestlers listed per se in the mask. It just has because to wrestle in Tennessee, you had to list all of your uh, well to, to promote. You had to list all of your wrestlers in your filings. And the wrestlers had to have their licenses. So we know who was on the card under the Mill Mascaris mask. Not going to give away if it was really Mill or someone else, this or that, uh, but it's in the book. It is in the book.
0: OK, well, and of course, that is near and dear to my heart, because that was the very first time that I attended the matches at the Mid-South Coliseum. Yeah. So uh, I was thrilled to see that that uh, that that's in the book. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, 1977, that uh, man, that's when things seemed to really get hot, uh, especially that summer between Lawler and Dundee. Uh, what were the attendance like? Uh, what, what were the attendance figures like then?
15: They, were, they I know it really, was re- really close to what was listed in the newspapers. Uh, several really close sellouts. Um, uh, the thing that really shows you is the amount of money they were taking in on them. The, uh, the numbers, I mean, they were <clears throat> on some of those cards, I mean, you know, twenty thirty grand easy back yeah. in those days, which was a lot of money. And they, they did that, that whole summer that was that way. The summer of 77, that really, when you look at 77, Jarrett splitting away not knowing if he's going to survive and, you know, the company's going to take off. That Lawler done feud that summer. When you look at those cards, you know, getting 30000 a week from one show a week, you know, not even counting the rest of the territory. I think that really shows a big impact of, you know, that really put them on the map and solidified, hey, they're here for good.
0: Yeah. And I know that this book uh, focuses on uh, Memphis, uh, but uh, I remember Jerry Lawler opening up, uh, this little book that he kept and he showed me the attendance figures for all the spot shows during yep. the glory years. Holy cow, man. They were making so much money back then. Oh, they really
15: my- were. And and what's sad about that is I would love to see his files on that because the smaller towns, Jarrett wasn't turning in anything. None of none of the Goulas wasn't in, out of Nashville, the smaller spot shows. They just didn't turn them into the state. Because there was no, you know, if they were at a high school or something like that, those guys weren't turning anything into the state. They just pocket right. money, <laughs> so there was no confirmation to, you know, turn anything in. So it usually didn't happen. So it was usually just the bigger cities, uh, yeah. Jackson, Knoxville, Nashville, those that were getting turned in.
0: Yeah, and at this and at the spot shows, uh, I know often they were getting at least half of the concessions, so they yeah. they were making out okay there. I think.
15: Oh, yeah. And, you know, depending on where they were at, also, you know, ticket sales, as well as photo sales, program sales, concessions,
0: uh, you know, it just, they did great. Now, is there a way, you know, did you, I'm sure you've gone through and you've looked at the results. Now, did you see when the attendance figures started to drop that they would do something drastic? Uh, I know the, the example people often bring up. Uh, is the the big angle the Tupelo concession stand when Robert yeah. Fuller uh, nearly uh, ran the uh, territory into the ground? Um, did you notice any other periods where they where the crowds were suddenly dropping and and they did something like did a really big angle to to pop the house? Yeah,
15: the uh, it, actually that same year that late that year when uh, the Lawler Dundee feed started back up this time with. Um, right after uh, the, the, the they made Dundee rest for the year and he, Lawler turned on him and all that going on, uh, the attendance started to drop a little bit. And that's when they ended up putting the CW world title on Lawler, November of 1979. You can see the numbers had dropped down. The first couple of weeks of the feud, it did really well, but then there, about a month or so into it, it started dropping off dramatically. And right after that is when they immediately uh, put the title on Lawler and Lexington and brought it back, and it started popping the, popping the crowd again. And they brought in, as you, you know, uh, Dick the Bruiser, Bockwinkle, Idol, yeah. brought back, you know, just Paul Orndorff, and uh, that that definitely helped.
0: You know, it was interesting, though. Um, it, I, traditionally, i always heard that December and January were the toughest months for the territory to draw. Did you find that to be the case in, in, in those years going through those records?
15: Not really. They looked at because that's what I'd always heard. Worst months were December, January, always. Well, if you look back at December 77, they brought Harley Rice in twice to fight Lawler. Mm. Both near right. sellouts. So that, you know, that. so December's messed up there. All right. They suspend Jimmy Bennett because he jumped in on the second match with Lawler. So January's reigniting their feud. That January 78 did great. Yeah. So, I mean, and in the next year, you had uh, the uh, the, fir- the beginning of when they brought Austin Idol in December, January was bringing Idol in when Robert Fuller took the book and they were doing OK. I mean, they were not doing terrible, mm. uh, not not what I always heard. Oh, it's always the worst. It, it, on paper, it doesn't look like the worst.
0: And I think it's really indicative, too, that fans just weren't buying that C- CWA World's Heavyweight Championship because, man, to have Lawler-Bachwinkel. And the fans believed in Bachwinkle And I understand Jared's philosophy and bringing Bachwinkle in for the unification matches to give credit credibility to the belt. Uh, but I think, uh, gosh, I think it drew less than 6,000 fans.
15: Yeah, it, 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 but what was happening was they were drawing around 2,000 by the time, uh, after a month of the Lawler-Dundee feud, part two. It had dropped down to around two thousand twenty five hundred. So I'm I'm thinking they were glad to get it back up at six thousand at that point.
0: Yeah, and you finish uh, with 1980. Now 1980, everyone always says, "Gosh, oh, it was the worst year ever." You know, Lawler broke his leg. Plans changed. You know, attendance dropped to record lows. If you, I, I don't know about the rest of the territory. But when I look at some of the attendance numbers, I mean, they do they drew some pretty <laughs> damn good houses with, uh, like, Lufus versus Billy Robinson they, on top really of the did. CWA title. And what what did you find going through uh, the 1980 I, records?
15: Yeah, they it wasn't as bad on paper. It doesn't appear to be as bad as it, it was always all. I'm, obviously, when you don't have Lawler, it's going to, you know, you're going to take a hit. Uh, but it was... It you know, the first couple of months, they did not put the belt on Robinson immediately. They had, you know, basically was Dundee valiant, kind of like over the promotion, throwing in Jimmy Hart in the mix and all of his guys, first family, first push on that. And it was, it, it, it didn't wear a thing yet, but by around early summer, I want to say around June, it started to drop off a little bit. And that's when they brought, I guess July or so was when they brought Lawler back to sit at ringside. Mm-hmm. You know, when he came back early and that, pop the crowd again yeah. back over six, 7,000, obviously, because, hey, there's the king. Yeah. Um, and, and you've talked to Jarrett before. You know, I mean, his deal is you, you can never – if you got a ghost there, you can't get the guys in the ring over, and that's what Lawler was, was a ghost, because he can't wrestle at the time. But it was so drastic, I think, you know, Jarrett just said, well, I've got to do something, because this is not going to last. And yeah, I know, the,
0: I know the exact weeks you're talking about, because I believe the attendance was 3,900. And yeah. they just announced that Lawler was going to be there at ringside. And Lawler had cut this great promo. You know, he wasn't going to be back for a few months. But, man, it was intense. Because, you know, I think yeah. there were some, some real feelings there about uh, Jimmy Hart with the, you know, they shoot horses oh, comment yeah. and that kind of thing. And putting the crown on Paul Ellering and putting the crown on Valiant. And yeah. just the fact that Lawler was going to be at ringside nearly doubled the house. It was... <laughs>
15: Yeah, not in the ring, just at ringside, Sit beside Lance. Yeah, that's all it yeah. was, and it, 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 you know, it worked. Uh, the he had been gone for five months at that point, give or take, and you know, it, it just worked. And, and you know, he came the, back a little bit early. The commercial
0: even covered it. They ran yeah, a they photo. His
15: yeah, yeah, right at ringside with this cane and the white suit he had on. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a big deal. I mean, you know, uh, it, it, you know, enough to get the crowd up, and it brought the newspaper out. So.
0: Now, uh, man, things really started to get uh, low toward the end of 1980. Uh, You know, they tried this experiment with bringing Tommy Rich in, and some say that that was sort of a favor to Barnett. Uh, They wanted to see how Tommy could work the heel style in case he got a run with the NWA World Heavyweight Championship, which he did in 1981, uh, but, of course, for less than a week. Um, and you know, I thought Tommy did uh, pretty damn well in the role. And, and I kind of, it kind of looked like that they were setting up him to be Lawler's first opponent when he came back from his broken leg. Yeah. The, uh, fortunately the book doesn't
15: go that far into 1980. It does about, uh, two thirds of the way through the year. It goes about, uh, it starts in the summer of 77 and goes to about uh, two thirds of the part through, um, 1980. But on that, yeah, I mean, it was, I I thought it was real. It was legit. I mean, you know, Tommy could work as a heel. That's what it showed. Uh, you know, he, he, he did great here. Uh, you know, they ended up later flipping him with doing the double flip with against value and that was handled well. Um, yeah, I I don't know what the deal was why he left, why they didn't keep it. Um, just not sure on that.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know, and another interesting figure who people, ask me about all the time. And uh, to be honest, I, I I sort of wish I had taken more time because I was around him so much. But Guy Coffey, I know, is, is featured in the book. Can you explain just briefly, I don't want to give every, everything away that's in the book, uh, exactly who Guy Coffee was and what his role was? Guy Coffey originally had been the uh, general manager
15: of Ellis Auditorium downtown of Memphis. That's where the wrestling had taken place in Memphis, uh, Gosh, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, all the way up to around 1971. Mm. And then in 1971 they moved to the Mid-South Coliseum and Mr. Coffey stayed at Ellis as their manager till they ended up redoing it and it became, it was remodeled and refurbished and done as the Cook Convention Center. He quit then, but during the 60s and 70s also, he was uh, a uh, commissioner agent, wherever you want to call it, for the uh, Tennessee Athletic Commission. He was the guy that came in for the state, verified all the wrestlers had their cards, verified they all had uh, their blood pressure taken by the local doctor and all this, and everything checked out, made sure. But he was also, because of that, uh, sort of like a little bit of an enforcer, in that if you had an outlaw promotion and they caught wind of it, they could bring the police in and shut you down, and you could not have a card. You Mm -hmm. know, they would, basically, the sheriff would shut you down. And so, because of that, he had a lot of power. Well, Jerry Jarrett brought him in, and as well, just uh, you know, to have him on his side, which he didn't outright bribe him or anything. But that's a lot of fans. Well, 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 he didn't give him anything. He he didn't give him anything. <laughs> he might
0: have, uh... No,
15: no, he did not actually. Uh, that, that's that, uh, Mr. Coffee would sell photos, and Jerry right. Jarrett took none of the proceeds. Yeah. He would split them with the boys, and you know he had a gimmick table with all the photos and all those oh,
0: things. Yeah. yeah, And I and remember that, and, his faint smoking wife. Yes, uh, yes, yes. He could still smoke at the Mid South Coliseum. She's like, "What do you want?" Oh, yeah. <laughs>
15: yeah, yeah. Miss Coffee, Mister Coffee. And they ran their table out of Memphis and uh, this area, because uh, up in Louisville and Evansville uh, and all those, you know, it was still Christine Jarrett doing the tables, uh, except for Memphis, and that was because Mister Coffee got the Memphis tables and uh, this area, the spot shows.
0: You know, and I hate and to say so that's this. How, yeah, you know, but by, by the time I got into the business, uh, you know, it just seemed like uh, Mr. Coffee was sort, sort, sort of a stooge in a way, um, yeah, and sort of a flunky. And I, and I hate that that I thought that about him, and and didn't really give the man a chance. You know, I didn't really, you know, he'd been around forever. I, 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 I really regret that because uh, it sounds like he. Uh, he had a really interesting history with uh, with the promotion. And another thing that I always thought and at, at the time, I, I thought it was hilarious that uh, during one of the Lawler Dundee hair matches, I think it's Mickey Poole's hair on the line against Dundee's and Dundee is taking a beating and the referee stops it. So Dundee's about to get his haircut. And the reason this is happening is, is because Lance Russell is saying we got to. You know, the the official from the Tennessee Athletic Commission here, he's saying that Dundee cannot continue. And I just laughed. I thought that was hilarious that they were trying to portray Mr. Coffee as a legit uh, sports official with any kind of power. But in truth, I guess he really was at one point
15: yeah he really really was at that point he still was member of the commission, and it was legit so they could do that i mean of course that would the, the whole angle of stop and starting the match back it was a you know a work but oh sure yeah uh, he yeah i mean but everybody knew he was you know pretty much tons of the local fans no oh no he's in he's in the sports commission i mean it was you know it was a work shoot so to speak on that they knew that that was you know oh no he's a member he he runs it. Cool. So it played into what the fans knew. It used the information the fans had against them,
0: so to speak. Right. Well, cool, Mark. This sounds uh, this sounds like another winner, man. Uh, I I Thanks. love going through this stuff and uh, analyzing attendance and seeing how that affected the storylines and um, and and it sounds like you did more research for this book than you ever have for any of your other projects
15: yeah it just it took a ton but it was worth it uh it also included every one of the included cards and in it. it has a different photograph from coronet so i was able to get those in there I always love using jimmy's photos yeah. actual photos of the matches from those cards that's always fun um yeah it was a blast put together hope the fans cool. love it cool well hey how can they get it they can go to markjamesbooks.com all my books are listed there it's the first one in the list uh each of my books has a link to Amazon on its own page, and uh, it's available today.
0: Cool. Well, uh, I'm sure my review copy will be arriving any day now. Um, As I say, it's in the mail. Check yeah. in the mail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, Mark. Uh, I, you know, Again, man, I could talk wrestling with you all day. We'll have to have you back another time, but I uh, appreciate you sure. uh, coming by.
15: Uh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it, guys.
0: Well, everybody, thank you for joining us. I think that was one of the most uh, packed episodes we've had with classic WHBQ audio that really gives you a sense of the flavor of Memphis wrestling at the time and how the storylines developed. It's one thing to go back and uh, look at the results. But now you hear the promos and, you know, we start fitting the pieces together and uncovering the mystery of, you know, well, how did this happen? Lawler and Armstrong were teaming one week. The next week, they're feuding over the Southern title. Now with these promos, we finally find out exactly what happened. It's really cool, and it's going to keep happening every week here at Kentucky Fried Wrestling. Now, if you subscribe on iTunes, please leave us a positive review and a five-star rating. I don't think that's too much to ask. Uh, you can follow me directly at Traf Scott Bowden on Twitter and also on Facebook at Kentucky Fried Wrestling. To download Kentucky Fried Wrestling directly or to access our RSS feed, please visit kfrpod.com. Kentucky Fried Wrestling is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. We'll see you next week, everybody.
1: The announcers on this program are selected and paid by parties other than this station, namely the promoters of championship wrestling.